as I said last week, I'm always blessed by what we have before communion. It's always enriching and powerful. Good, um, good morning. Yesterday was quite a day. Um, the Fall Fest was a great event. Uh, it really was. I'm amazed by how this body bonds together and does amazing events. Way, I mean, we go way beyond average on those. I'm telling you, it's great. And then the morning, the men's breakfast had two features that were really good. Great conversation. We brought up a simple Christian topic and we just ran with it. It was great. The men, I, I, I was amazed at the wisdom that was poured out and the suggestions that were poured out on how we could help each other follow Christ. And then, of course, the food was great. <laughs> You'd be hard-pressed to find a breakfast like that anywhere. I mean, there's a great variety. And so I want to encourage men, if those breakfasts are really good, uh, they do, you walk away, you're saying, wow, this has been a great morning. Um, I'm refreshed. I'm encouraged. And um, so I want to encourage you, if you haven't made those or if you've, I mean, it's, it's good. That's all i got to say. <laughs> um, Tim makes his French toast casserole, and that alone is worth it, but that's like just one of the features at this breakfast. So, um, But it's been a good day of fellowship yesterday. It really was, and all the way around. Uh, the event, as I said, was great. Um, I have a note from Becky Donaldson. She asked us to pray for her dad, Al, who is in the hospital still, and he... Um, He's having a rough time with, with his lungs and heart, and, and so they're, um, she's just praying. He's been in the hospital for a while now, so let's pray together for him. She specifically asked for us to do that. So, Father, I want to lift up Al to you. I know his faithfulness. I know his, his love for you, and I pray, Father, that you will touch him here because as he's in the hospital, they're trying to get this under control and figure out what's going on, and, and we lift him up to you. We thank you for being the healer. We thank you for being the one who, who knows these things. We pray you'll give him strength. You'll give Al strength. We pray you'll give the family uh, strength as this gets longer and it still feels like he's not um, making great progress. We know they are, they are concerned. They're tired. Um, we pray for a refreshment in their hearts, and we thank you that we can lift them up to you this morning because that's what we're about. We thank you in Jesus' name for the love they have for you and for this body, and vice versa. Amen. 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 You know, <laughs> I should have known better than to talk about joy. should have given that one to Eric. <laughs> of course, what are you going to do with the fruit of the Spirit? You'll lose every week because whatever you're going to talk about, you know the enemy's going to attack, and it was a joy-challenged week. Then he wants me to do patience. <laughs> So, um, oh boy. But here we are, and it's good. It's all good. And the body, as I saw it in action yesterday, was a big part of, you know, wow, there's so much to rejoice over. Join me in Galatians chapter 5. I just want to read all the fruit of the Spirit to start with. Galatians 5, and we'll go to verses verse 22 and 23. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is a singular word, Fruit. All those come as a package. Now, because we're just on the second one, I'm not going there yet, but we will start looking at how they interact with one another, because they do. They come as a package, they build into one another, 
they bounce, build off of one another. It's a very powerful understanding. Suffice it today, we'll talk about joy. Next week, we'll talk about peace. And we're going to do something a little different, I think, the next couple weeks. But let's read them, first of all. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want to talk about joy today. A friend of, um, I, was, I heard a preacher, oh, that, that's, our, that's how we often look when we're pursuing joy. That's that had, <laughs> just had to, had to give you that little tidbit there. There's our, there's our version of joy sometimes. Yes, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. <laughs> or, or that's how we want to be. <laughs> um, but that's the challenge with joy. A preacher I was listening to was talking about a friend who um, had suffered terrible, terrible treatments for brain cancer. But his faith in Christ was such that he maintained his joy in Christ even through terrible suffering. One day the nurse on duty wrote what she meant as a critical comment on his chart. Her chart read, Mr. X is inappropriately joyful. Her thinking was, how could he be joyful in such a circumstance? There must be something wrong with him. <laughs> um, and, and the friend writes, this has since become one of my life's goals, to be like my friend, to be inappropriately joyful. That's our goal today. Anybody want to be inappropriately joyful? Oh, you're so inappropriate. <laughs> But that's what we're looking at. To manifest the fruit of joy, especially when it's like, why is there joy at such a time? What we have to do is we have to set our soils for joy. We have to catch that wind to blow us in that direction, right? It takes effort on our part to make sure we're turned the right way, but then the wind has to blow us there. The spirit has to take us there. We set our sails for joy, we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and he grows joy in us. Today is a little different because most of our focus so far has been on the fact that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the work of the fruit of the Spirit, not our efforts, right? We know that. It's because we've been born again of the Spirit, the Spirit is in us, and he grows the fruit through us. But I'm not backtracking any from that truth. In fact, verse 25, the first statement gives us this truth, since we live by the Spirit, we have new life by the Spirit. How do you go to the fruit of the Spirit? Well, first of all, you need to know you've got the, I've got the divine nature, the Spirit inside of me. But the second part of verse 25 says this. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want us to focus more on the second part today. How do we keep in step with the Spirit that is in us? How do we keep in step with the work of the Spirit? Or how do we set our sails to joy? There is a part we play. And it's not contrary to trusting the Spirit of God and growing the fruit of the Spirit. We do have a part. We have choices to make. We have a will. And God works through our will. We all know that we can grieve and block the work of the Spirit to some degree in our lives. We also can open up those channels to allow the Spirit to move us in the right direction. 
We want to focus more today on our role. Here's how we do it. First of all, we assent. We agree with God about joy, embrace the quest for joy. Then we repent. Okay, so we're going to do assent, repent, sometimes sin, guilt is in the way, selfishness of our joy. We assent to joy, lament, I mean, um, repent of our sin, and then we lament our pain. Because when we face hard times, when we face pain, when we face confusion and struggle, lament, biblical lament is the pathway back from pain back to praise. And we're going to look at a lament psalm. We, we want to look at how do we get back to joy? How do we set our sails? Ascent to it means go for it, look for joy, know it's yours. Don't settle for anything less than your birthright, which is joy in Christ and joy in the Spirit. Secondly, consider it might be sinful attitudes. Maybe not a specific sin. Maybe it's just we're, we're, we're not thinking right. And then the third thing is lament when we face troubles and we're saying, how can I rejoice when things are this hard, this painful? The Bible gives us an answer. We're going to look at it, okay? So I'm giving you a lot of information today that a lot of it's going to be take home. But next week we're going to look at how we can experience peace, the fruit of peace. It's going to be a lot simpler and we'll be able to talk about it in more detail. So a little different both weeks. Ascent is first. First we ascent to the work of the Spirit. That's what it says in Galatians. The flesh wars against the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. You need to say, yes, I agree. That's ascent. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Yes, because I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I am dwelt by the Holy Spirit, joy is mine. And it should be manifesting itself. And if it's not, it's probably me in the way. And agree that God wants us to experience his fruit in its fullness. Oh, it is so true. It is. Assent means an act of agreeing to something after considering it. Agree. Who agrees we should walk in joy? Who agrees that joy is a great, wonderful thing and what a great vision God has for us? But does anybody like pity parties? We all, we all like our friends. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's the problem with joy. It's like, you know, you're going off, you're all feeling sorry for yourself, or you're busy griping about someone else, and then the Spirit says, oh, boy, where's your joy? It's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> so there is, there is the flesh which says, I want to complain, I want to grumble, I want to wallow. I want to get out my little violin. I want to hear poor, poor Bob. Oh, poor, you poor thing. And by the way, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But that doesn't mean wallow in self-pity. Um, so joy, it's a challenge, isn't it? And sometimes it's just, I'm tired. I don't, I don't even know if I can. I'm so overwhelmed. Anyone feel that way? Overwhelmed. It's not that I don't want joy. It's not that I don't think it's good. It's just, it's not that I want to wow. I, I just am so overwhelmed that I'm tired. I understand. God understands. So let's talk about how we can make some progress and how we can set those sails to recover some of that joy. We ascent to joy first of all, as I said. Look what Romans 8.5 tells us. It's on your outline. 
Romans 8, 5 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, okay? But here it is, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. They have assented. They've said, I've set my mind to become who God wants me to be. I've set my mind on the fruit of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. I've set my mind that joy is my birthright. I've set my mind that I'm going to walk in joy. Lord, what's it going to take? They have their minds set on the Spirit. That's why I say assent. That's exactly what we need to do. It's a decision. I agree, first of all, that joy is a Christian distinctive. Joy is so important. If I were to try to explain all the passages, even just read all the passages on joy all through the Bible, I'd never be getting anywhere as far. We'd be here all day. It's incredible how much there is on joy. Jesus talked it, but I, so I'll just focus on mainly New Testament. If I went to the Psalms, forget it. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord. And, and how many variations of praise the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. My joy is in the Lord. How many, I, I didn't even count the references. I didn't even look it up. It's just too overwhelming. Um, Jesus talked about the disciples having joy. He said, my joy will be in you. Your joy will be full. We, it's, we're told all through the New Testament about this joy, and it is the fruit of the Spirit. So it's what the Spirit wants to work in us. The kingdom of heaven is not found in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14. So... Joy is a Christian distinctive. That's the, the second agreement is that joy is based on gospel realities. We need to assent the fact that joy is not the same thing as happiness. Amen. Now, I don't mean that they don't overlap sometimes. Joy is being happy in the things of God, not in my circumstances. I can feel very unhappy about what, what's going on in my life and have joy. I may not be feeling great, but I have a sense of wellness and solidity and determination because my hope is in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength, not my circumstances. I pity the person whose hope is in their circumstances and who's looking for joy in the circumstances of life. I feel bad for that person because it's not going to happen or it will be very short-lived. And in our society... I've got to do what makes me happy is the mantra, isn't it? That the greatest sin is to allow anybody else to tell you that you can't have what you think will make you happy and make you feel happy. And if you're trying to tell someone else they can't do what they think makes them happy, you're the great sinner. No, you can't leave your wife. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not making this up. These are real circumstances. You can't leave your wife and family and go over here because that's not right and it's going to destroy them and it's going to mess up your life. Well, I have a right to what makes me happy. That's a real conversation I've had. Not once. It's one example. But it's lunacy. Joy is not based on circumstances. And we are not so... It's hard because I realize that we've grown up hearing this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the... Now, I agree with that as a government, that we have the greatest government 
experiment ever that will build themselves on giving their citizens the right to happiness. I think that's good and it should stay. But see, we've taken it and we've gone way too far with it because we don't personally live for happiness but for holiness. We, don't, we live for joy, the joy of the Lord, the joy in the gospel. The gospel realities are that Jesus came and found us and rescued us because of his great love. Our joy is because he, he, he rose from the grave triumphantly. We're born again, Peter says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then as he goes on in the sentence, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. That's why I say joy is our birthright. You've been born again to a living hope. You greatly rejoice. Joy is a birthright. I'm born again. Joy is mine. It's a family trait. It's in your DNA. <laughs> so, mm. but it, it comes from the knowing who G, the good news of Jesus. Today is born to you a Savior, Christ the Lord. And that was called good news of great joy for all men. Because Jesus the Savior has come. Mark quoted, hallelujah, what a Savior. There's joy. Not hallelujah, what a car. Hallelujah, what an easy day. Hallelujah, what a nice sunny day. Hallelujah, what, what, a, what a great family. Those are all wonderful things, by the way. But my hallelujah has to come from what a Savior. Or else we're going to fall flat on our face. Right? Because my family's going to start to get troubled and disappointing, and my car's going to break down, and... I'm all thumbs and you know when it comes to that and my job is going to start to get ugly and my classes are going to start to be too hard and teachers are going to get unreasonable and um, I'm going to start to struggle. Hallelujah. What a savior. It's based on the and that's the, the reality about biblical joy and the joy we're talking about. It is based on think about it this way. I can live through this life and I can walk in rightness and holiness and integrity and joy because of my eternal reward in Christ. Yes. I know I'm not living for this world. I know Jesus said in this world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. Joy. I've overcome the world. Yes. All right, so it's based on gospel realities. Joy is not just, hallelujah, I found some extra money. <laughs> it's hallelujah, what a savior. And then, and then joy grows through nature and nurture. What does that mean? Well, it's part of our DNA, as I said. You're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this you greatly rejoice. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of joy. You've got that in your nature. That's verse 25, the first part. We, since we live by the Spirit, we have new life by the Spirit. But then the, the nurture is, let us then walk by the Spirit. Let's learn how to walk that nurture nature. We need to train that nature. We need to get that nature in shape because the flesh is warring against it. The flesh says pity party time. The flesh says complaint time. The flesh says negativity time. The Spirit says, no, it's joy time. And we need to learn how to nurture the right things. Yes. You know, you got two dogs at war, and 
which one will win, the one that you feed the most. Let's feed the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that is what we're talking about, setting our sails so the joy we go toward joy. Um, Notice, um, well, Philippians chapter 2. I love this passage. It tells us this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation. What's he saying? But then in verse 13, he says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God's at work. Work it out. But know that God is at work in you. The Spirit is guiding you and directing you toward joy, among, as well as love, joy, peace, patience, and all those other things. First Timothy is on your outline. First Timothy chapter 4. Listen to this. They have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Sort of saying no pity parties, no gossip. <gasps> no bad-mouthing others. No, no air, no false things. <clears throat> Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly? He goes on, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Here's a question. How do you train yourself to be godly? Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Set your sails to catch the Spirit. It's like he's saying, work out and train yourself to be godly. How do we do that? Here's one distinction before we move on to the two specifics. Grace, as it says in your outline, is a quote quote from Dallas Willard, a wonderful author on the spiritual life. Grace is not opposed to effort. I'm saved by grace, not by what I do, but that doesn't mean I don't have to give effort to my salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. In other words, this is serious stuff. You're going to have some blood, sweat, and tears working out your salvation, right? understanding what God is doing in my life and where I go next. Don't expect it to be a cakewalk. But it's opposed to earning. It's opposed to thinking that I earn God's favor by what I do. Okay? There's a big distinction here. Because if I get those mixed up, I'll think I'm earning my salvation. I'm not earning my salvation. I'm not earning God's favor. I nearly need to learn to train to be godly. The difference is between trying and training. Let me explain that. If there were a race, it's going to be run in Ravenna. It's a half marathon. What's that, 13 something miles? Yep. And so I, I decide I'm going to go run that marathon. I show up two Saturdays from today when it starts at 9 a.m. And I show up and I get my running clothes on and I show up there. And I say, I'm going to run this marathon. I'm going to try really hard. What's the problem? I haven't trained for a marathon. (laughs) What's going to happen to me? You might see me the next day. You might not. No one might, might ever see me again. What have I not done? Trained. And you see, it's not just about trying. 
I'm going to be godly. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to have joy in this circumstance no matter what. Not if you have not trained to be godly. Not if you haven't set your sails to catch the wind of joy. You're not going to learn how to rejoice. It's not something you can fake. And often, we first of all, we react in the flesh and get very mad, very upset, very sad. And then we have to come back by, and we'll talk about how we do that. I do understand. We start there, then we, but we need to train our spirits. We need to train to know how to react in a godly way. And train how to be joyful. Train how to have peace. Train how to have patience with your toddler. <laughs> or your teenager. <laughs> or your spouse. Oh, I, and I'm not going to say who said that. Wives, get looking at your husbands, all right? Let's talk about the two ways. We're not going to spend a lot of time on these, but we are going to read these passages. It's powerful. First, how do we train ourselves to be godly? I'm going to suggest the first one is to repent. Join me in Psalm 51. The reason I'm going here is this. I believe that all emotion is not bad, is not wrong. We react, we have emotions, we respond emotionally. That's, that's okay. Emotions are meant to be like an alarm, a trigger. Okay? But emotion all needs to be processed in prayer. Okay? It needs to be brought before God so that he can recalibrate us in the right direction in case my emotion, in case my feelings are going the wrong way. Okay? We tend to think that if I feel something strongly, therefore I need to run with it and fight for it. I have a friend, a pastor colleague, who who I, I really appreciate it. He'd say, if I feel something really viscerally, I'm ready to fight for it. First thing I need to do is go to God and say, am I wrong? Because if I am, if my feelings aren't right, I'm going to end up doing something that doesn't honor you, Lord. So the first thing you do is submit to God and bring your emotions and bring your visceral feelings and bring your passion to God and say, is it right? Am I going the right direction? Because just wanting to Say my peace might cause harm and be ungodly if I don't bring... So bring your emotion to God. Process emotions in prayer. The Psalms tell us how to do that. They show us how to do that. David had sinned big time, Psalm 51. From the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He said, David, you are the man. You are the sinner. You have committed adultery. You have committed murder. The Lord is not pleased with you. And David goes, <clears throat> and he waited for a year between the sin and being confronted by the prophet Nathan. And here's what David prayed to repent. He said, first of all, have mercy on me, God, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
There's that guilt, that not non-joy. Let those bones now rejoice again. Hide your face from my sins, verse 9. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Aha! Why did I pick this passage? There it is. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. There will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. The bulls will be offered on your altar. I, I, will, I confess I took this directly from Warren Weir's. He broke this up. He said, cleanse me, verses 1 through 7. Restore me, verses 8 through 12. And then use me, verses 13 through 19. David, me this Take it off? Okay. Okay, just use the pulp and mic. Okay. Understanding hand signals is always interesting. <laughs> it takes me a couple hours to get it. All right. <clears throat> um, repent. And you can see that coming. In other words, what David said is, my bones were crushed. I was devastated. I was guilty. And let those bones rejoice again. Well, how, what does that mean? I can recover the joy of my salvation. God will give me back my joy if I repent. If I acknowledge my sin and I come before him, he will restore me, restore the joy of my salvation. Hence, one of the ways that we train ourselves to be godly, we set our sails for joy, is to keep short accounts with God and make sure that we are regularly confessing our sin wholeheartedly, talking to him about what we've done wrong and coming before him and realigning ourselves with him continually. That's standard, right? I want to look at the next thing we do because it's less standard, and that is lament. And if you turn back to Psalm 13, and here's where we'll wrap up. Like I said, this is more like homework because we don't have time to go over it all in great detail, but it's something to take from here and know how do I set my sails? How do I, how do I pursue joy? And the two joy killers of sin and sorrow, basically. Psalm 13, for the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? He's not feeling too good, is he? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to me, my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. One of the biggest problems we face in the Christian life is how to respond to pain, to trouble, to confusion, to heartache, to grief, to disappointment. The only bigger problem than how to respond to adversity is how to live with success. 
and still follow the Lord. But that's a topic for another day. Today we want to deal with what happens when I'm down. What happens when I'm way down and I'm struggling with life. And we come across passages like, count it all joy, brothers, when you face various trials. And you say, James, what you've been smoking? What are you talking about? Who does that? In all things rejoice, for Thessalonians. It, it's a, it's a t- so here's what we do most of the time if we don't understand lament. We say, okay, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. But I'm supposed to have joy, so I'll fake it. I'll do the best I can to pretend, you know, fake it till you make it. <laughs> well, it is a choice to rejoice, but fake it till you make it isn't exactly the intent. The intent is there's a biblical prayer process. Notice it says in, in, in Philippians, it says, do not be anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything. Who are you kidding? But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We'll set a guard around your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do we pray that way? Well, here's how we pray this way. It's a biblical pattern of lament. It's how we, how we pray honestly and authentically. It's almost like we come before God, we complain to him about what's happening and say, where are you, what are you going to do? And it revives our spirit, brings us back around to where we're trusting him again and recognizing his work in our lives, even though we still have these problems and these sorrows. Because we tend to do one of two things when it comes to lament. We tend to think, number one, that the people of God don't have any real problems or don't have struggles and don't have sorrows and I should be above that. Nope. Number one, nope. That's a simple theological answer. We struggle. We hurt. We have pain. We have confusion. There's times when we say, God, where are you? Look at David. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? How? What's he saying? God, where the blankety blank are you? How long is this going to go on? I know we all struggle. I know we have hard times, but come on. That's what he's saying to God. Isn't he, or am I? Yeah. No? (laughs) Yeah, he is. Well, so then... Then he, then he goes on, verse 3, he praises, Look at me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to me. Help me to see her. I'm going to die. You ever been there? You're like, Lord, if you don't do something, I'm going to die. Or somebody's going to die. And then I'll go to prison. <laughs> Help! My enemies will say, I've overcome him. My foes will join. I have all these people I've been witnessing to my family and my friends and people that oppose you and... They're looking at him saying, what a fool, he's still talking about God and look at his life. Look at the hardship, he's still got cancer. You know, so think about that. But then he comes back and says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he's been good to me. There's a chart here on the back page of your outline. The movements of lament. Turn to the Lord first of all, turn back to God. Go hard after God when you're feeling like running away from him. 
There's a principle. When you feel like running away from God, run toward him and talk tough to him. How long, O oh Lord? Where are you? What are you doing? And why aren't you moving? Is anyone uncomfortable with this? I understand why you would be. I am. But this is what we have modeled in the scriptures. Secondly, express your complaint. I thought we're not supposed to complain. Oh, no, you're not supposed to complain to Tim about Mike. <laughs> you can complain to God about Mike. Maybe we'll have a session afterwards where I'll do that. Is that okay, Mike? <laughs> but complain to God. I'm not allowed to, don't you think God can handle it? What if I say a bad word? Is God going to fall off his throne? I mean, I'm not advocating bad words, but come on. We don't give God credit for how wonderful the, our, our omnipotent creator. But if I say a bad word, he's going to implode and die and be corrupted. No. If I express something that's not right, if I have, what if my theology is wrong because I'm upset? I can almost guarantee you your theology is wrong if you're really upset. <laughs> can God, is God going to fall off the throne because we gave a little bad theology? Uh, no. Just be honest with him. He knows what you're going through and he cares. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to express what's hurting that's how he's going to turn you around. Because then you seek his help. Call upon God to act in a manner that fits his character and resolves your complaint. The reason we lament is not because we want to take, take on God. It's because we say, this doesn't fit with, what you, with who you are, God. I know what you did through the cross. I know how you saved me. I know how much you gave for me. So I'm not able to add this up, how this fits with who you are and what you've done. This doesn't match the gospel. The gospel is good news, and this ain't good news. Okay? So it's saying, God, show me who you are. Act according to what I know of you, because right now I'm going through a time I just don't get it. And then trust the Lord. Affirm him. You know what I found about this? It's very awkward. Anybody ever done this with some intent? Very awkward at first. Very difficult. Kind of sheepish. Lord, I... I'm not too happy. <laughs> but, as, but as we practice lament, we learn to talk to God heart to heart, face to face. Guess what? It gets so powerful. And it turns us around. Because you start out with you're going through all this and you're rehearsing your complaints and rehearsing your hurts. And eventually you say, boy, do I sound like an idiot. <laughs> Been there, done that? Okay. That happens earlier and earlier as you get better at lament because you say, wait a minute. Who I, I'm, Lord, I, I'm talking to you this way. You know perfectly well. And I also know perfectly well that as one person wrote, and I saw this from somewhere, he said, so far, my survival rate during all my hard times is 100%. I've never really died. I thought I was. I've wanted to. Nor have I ever caused someone else to die, though I've wanted to. Keep that record clean, by the way. Here's my point. You notice David comes back to joy. 
set your sail toward joy. But it doesn't come from faking it. It doesn't come from pretending everything's okay. It comes from talking to God honestly, both in repentance for our sin and lament for what's causing us deep sorrow and deep pain. Talk to him honestly. Ask for his help. Tell him, Lord, I finally realized I need you to move. I thought I could do it myself. So often that's the problem with these things, isn't it? I keep trying to figure it out and solve it myself and by grabbing control, and I've learned that that's the biggest problem of all. I need you to fix this. And by fix it, I don't know what I mean because I don't know what you're going to do, but move, Lord, or move me. He brings us back to joy. So when you see rejoice in all your trials, don't just, okay, I'm, hallelujah, I'm going to dance. By the way, praise is a valid practice. If we start praising, often we can get through things. How many heard Chuck Swindoll talk about how he praises God on the radio a couple weeks ago? He, he goes into private praise sessions and just praises for hours. It's like, wow. He's like the Puritans of old when they used to do that. And, and he says it, it helps all those troubles and all those difficulties melt away. It's powerful. So praise is a powerful thing. It's what happens during lament. Okay? So set your sails to receive the joy of the Lord and live out the fruit of the Spirit, joy. How do we train to be godly? The ascent. That joy is what the Lord wants me to have and I should have. It's part of my birthright. We repent of our sin, honestly, wholeheartedly, and then we lament the sorrow, the pain, the brokenness, the confusion that is holding us back from experiencing true joy. And of course, when we confess and when we lament, we read two Psalms. We also know that Jesus suffered and paid for our sins so we can confess we've already been forgiven. We're coming for cleansing and renewal because he's forgiven us. The second thing, Jesus endured the betrayal and the great suffering that he did so that we could identify with him. Jesus is the person who God in flesh suffered and died identified with us through the worst possible suffering. So we're not just even in the Old Testament. We're into the New Covenant where God has come and said, I'm going to put some skin on and show these folks that I'm willing to take what I teach. And he did. He took our sin. He conquered. He gives us the means through the Spirit to experience true joy through his real life, real earth experience. Any question? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I wish we could talk about this. I wish we could sit and talk and chat. I wish we could have talked back and forth the whole time because this is intense stuff, Lord. But we thank you for being a good God 
the gospel is good news of great joy for all people. Unto us is born a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We have joy because of that great Savior. And we have joy because of a great God who loves us and gave us a means to be cleansed of our sin and to return to joy and to be, and to be made whole in our sorrows and to return to joy. We may still have tears running down our cheeks as we experience that new joy, but it will be real and not fake. It will not be joy as the world gives, happiness that is fleeting and often based on sinful things. Father, give us a sense of joy and wellness in the gospel, first of all. We pursue that. We put our sails there and say, Lord, I have too much hope in the world. I have too much hope and too much desire to have this world be like heaven for me, and it's not. Father, give us a heart that will seek the things above and set our minds on the things above, as it says in Colossians, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Place our hope firmly in heaven. Firmly, Lord, in the things that you have done. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of joy, for the fruit of joy, for the nature of your spirit to grow it and also for the means of which to grow it that you give us in your word. Amen.